a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be spending some time with my friend Chuck Michelle, head of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, also with the uh, Second Amendment Law Center. We've got a, a couple of updates to talk about from the uh, Law Center, some uh, briefs that they have filed in cases uh, in Delaware and uh, other states around the country dealing with bans on so-called assault weapons, large-capacity magazines, and more. But I also want to talk with Chuck about what happened at the Supreme Court on Tuesday of this week, where a 5-4 decision by the court uh, stayed a, a decision out of the Fifth Circuit that had uh, basically placed a nationwide injunction on the uh, ATF's enforcement of its frame-or-receiver rule, the rule that uh, redefines a firearm to include things that could be turned in to a firearm at some point in time. This is uh, not great news for gun owners. Uh, is it... However, a sign that the uh, Supreme Court is starting to uh, moderate its views when it comes to the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, was this about the shadow docket? Were there other issues that came into play beyond the uh, ATF's rule? I, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm concerned uh, about uh, where the court is now on the uh, right to keep and bear arms uh, with yesterday's decision. Um, but hopefully Chuck will be able to uh, talk me down off the ledge a little bit. We'll uh, get to that conversation in just a moment. Before we do, you know, Joe Biden's America is crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch meat next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, with thousands of five-star reviews. And they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. And now let's uh, kick off our conversation with Chuck Michelle of the California Rifle and Pistol Association and the Second Amendment Law Center. Get his take on what happened at SCOTUS on Tuesday, as well as... Uh, Again, what's going on in the lower courts when it comes to our right to keep and bear arms? Take a look and a listen. Chuck, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. It's great talking with you, sir. Always a pleasure, Cam. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we've got a lot to talk about, um, good and bad. But I, I, I want to get your thoughts, first of all, on the decision yesterday, uh, 5-4, to stay this nationwide injunction against the ATF's uh, rules on frames or receivers, the, the quote-unquote ghost gun rule. Um, what do you make of the fact that the uh, Supreme Court is allowing this rule to be enforced while the underlying litigation proceeds? Well, it, it, it's tough to read too much into this because it's it's somewhat unusual for the Supreme Court to get involved and uh, either stay or not stay a case. It's a procedural thing on the shadow docket that uh, sometimes telegraphs their inclination one way or another, but doesn't always. Uh, in this case, though, the, the argument usually is preserve the status quo, which would be this law was not in effect. Why are you going to let it take effect while uh, the the case is litigated? This is a brand. This is a new policy. Uh, basically, it's a policy change. 
by ATF. Uh, and the I think the most interesting thing here is, you know, out of the nine judge, so this was presented to Judge Alito because he has the jurisdiction over the Texas uh, uh, cases, but he presented it to the entire court for the nine justices to rule on whether or not they think the case that the uh, injunction should be kept in place so the law does not take effect or the ruling stayed so that the law would take effect until it's litigated through the the the, the appeal in the Fifth Circuit. Uh, so, but the most interesting thing is that in granting that appeal to, uh, in granting that motion for a stay, and by presenting it to the nine justices, Justice Thomas Alito, even though he was the one who originally got the request, he presented it to the nine justices, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh all voted to deny the request to stay the ruling, which tells you that those four justices at least uh, would have maintained the status quo while the case was litigated, but it also tells you perhaps more revealing that Justice Barrett and Roberts did not vote to uh, to keep the case stayed while it was litigated. So they may be a little wishy-washy on, on some of these things um, coming up. But remember, this is not a Second Amendment case, and neither is the the case challenge. The case is challenging the new ATF policy about bump stocks, characterizing them uh, as illegal, and arm braces, stabilizing braces. Uh, all three of those cases challenge an ATF change in position, and we have all the old we have all the old opinion letters from the. Uh, firearm technology branch of the ATF where people wrote in and said, is it okay to sell this? And ATF said, yes. And now they're changing their mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, and I know that Justice Barrett has been somewhat critical of the shadow docket in the past. So it's, it's, as you say, it's, it's hard to get a read on why Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Barrett came down the way they did. It could be that, uh, you know, they've got issues with the shadow docket as opposed to the underlying issues uh, in these cases. Um, but I gotta say, Chuck, I'm still a little concerned here. You know, we, we, we've seen the court decline to intervene, uh, early on in the, uh, New York, uh, post Bruin restrictions, they, uh, declined to intervene in Illinois ban on, uh, so-called assault weapons and, and large capacity magazines again on an emergency basis. Um, so, you know, they're not making these rulings as they've come up in the course of, you know, the, 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 the regular trials here, um, but I'm I mean, I'm really concerned that the court is is taking this wait and see approach, letting the lower courts kind of duke it out to the detriment of, of our individual right to keep and bear arms. Yeah, uh, look, we don't have we have six. Votes in theory. Probably four strong votes and two kind of on the fence. uh so depending on the actual individual facts of a, of a specific case, we don't really know which way those two might go. We don't know which way any of the nine might go for that matter. But, but it, you know, if you read the tea leaves, it looks like those two justices uh, may be on the fence about some things. Now, this is a ghost, quote unquote, ghost gun case, a precursor receiver issue, you know, an 80% receiver. And there's a lot, you know, the, the the gun ban lobby has done a lot of PR on this about mm -hmm. how uh, these are being used by criminals to get around the background check requirement. Um, there's been lawsuits filed against uh, a lot of the manufacturers of these uh, and and sellers of these uh, 
precursor receivers or, or kits where you can use, have a precursor receiver and the other parts and you finish the receiver and then put them together. So it's not politically, it's a little, I think it's um, a little harder for some of those justices to really want to defend this. But if you look at it strictly in terms of, you know, for justices to say, yeah, this is a Second Amendment violation. But again, remember, it's an administrative executive authority challenge, not a Second Amendment challenge. So maybe they're thinking about, you know, what's the scope of authority of a regulatory agency? Of course, that gets you into the whole Chevron defense and deferral mm -hmm. to the administrative agency, because a lot of these agencies are power hungry and they always interpret statutes in a way that gives them more power. So there's there's a lot of parts in, in motion here. So we can't say with a, a whole lot of certainty what's going on. There's another part is uh, the, the court in Illinois, they did not grant a stay on the Illinois law, but primarily that was because the Seventh Circuit put the appeal on the rocket docket and, and made it happen really fast. And that's what the court, the Supreme Court said in, in the New York Antonic case. He said, Second Circuit, you better get off your butt and, and decide this case fast or we're going to get back involved. So in Vanderstock, the hearing, the oral argument is set for September 7th. So that's that's fast. by mm -hmm. So lots of things that could be contributing to this. But yeah, if you get right down to it. Where is Roberts and Barrett on on this this particular request? Yeah, no, nah, yeah, and and you're right, and you've you've helped walk me back a couple of steps off the ledge, I guess. But but I, I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one uh, concerned about you know where Chief Justice Roberts and where Justice Barrett might be. And and you know, speaking to that point, I mean, you talk about the the lobbying in the court of public opinion that the gun control groups have been doing on things like you know ghost gun bans or the Rahimi case. Um, you know, to me, that that just speaks to the importance of while we're continuing to litigate, while we're using the courts to, you know, fight back against these infringements, we can't ignore the court of public opinion either. We have to be making our cases to the public as to why these laws are a bad thing. Uh, and we can't just rely on the courts to be a backstop, uh, you know, against each and every one of these unconstitutional gun laws. Well, that's for sure. The problem is getting, you know, we have great, great groups and, and influencers and our own internal channels where the, all this news gets out, but trying to get it into the mainstream media, as you well know, uh, you know, to, it's very, very hard to get that message out. So they've mm -hmm. successfully ghost, you know, they've been playing this game for years. Uh, it started with Saturday night specials, you know, some emotion laden buzzword that just condemns a whole class of firearms and makes people think there's something that they're not, you know, assault weapons, high capacity magazines, it's all a, a game of playing the narrative. And so, uh, but I will say the Supreme Court generally doesn't care about that. I mean, they try not to, although this is an election year and the Supreme Court is getting condemned on a lot of issues. So who knows how it really plays in the back of their minds. Uh, but, you know, we're going to have black right. We have the Rahimi case in the Supreme Court now. That's about a, a guy who is not the poster child for gun rights. Right. He's shown some t tendency to violence, and he's prohibited under this uh, law that basically bans this broad class of people without considering individual circumstances, uh, basically no due process. 
Uh, and that's a problem, but but he's a bad guy. And so I don't know where Barrett or Roberts might come down on that one either. My big concern is all the courts that are dealing with Second Amendment cases are twisting the Bruin analysis, just like they twisted the Heller analysis. They're trying to say that the language of the Second Amendment limits the right to, of, to certain arms and certain people and certain places. And that's not what the Bruin decision says. The first step, the, the, there used to be a two-step analysis. And Justice Thomas and Bruin said, that's one step too many. You can't have two steps. But they're trying, the states are all arguing to go back to this first step where you have to look at the language and see it even covers the conduct. And so they say, you know, uh, semi-autos aren't even covered. They're not, they're not protected arms. Magazines aren't arms, so they're right. not protected either. Get to the second step, which is where the state has to take on the burden of showing that there's a historical analog to the current law that's being challenged, something that indicates that the founders, when they wrote this in Second Amendment in 1791, uh, would have tolerated some law that's on the books today. Yeah. And even when they say, OK, fine, uh, you know, AR-15s are, are protected under the Second Amendment. But, uh, you know, Bruin also talked about uh, that decision should not be a regulatory straitjacket, that uh, in cases of unprecedented societal concerns that, uh, you know, modern regulations uh, may be appropriate. Uh, so, again, you know, they're taking they're taking that inch that Bruin gave and turn it into a mile long list of uh, gun control laws that they would uphold. Um, although I will say we did see this decision out of Hawaii yesterday. Judge Leslie Kobayashi granted a temporary restraining order against most of the gun free zones that were challenged. Um, in some cases, she said, OK, yes, I'm going to grant this based on a, an as applied challenge. In some cases, it'll be a facial challenge. Um, but the the folks who were fighting to overturn these uh, gun free zones got most of what they were asking for it looks like as i'm reading this opinion yes they did and and now that's not that's that's a preliminary injunction right yeah this is a temporary restraining order so this didn't decide the whole case yeah but but she's giving them the state a chance to go back down and try and to go back and try and find some more uh, applicable historical analogs there aren't any the, the, this hawaii's uh, 1320 law was a uh, a ban on uh, made it harder to get CCWs, and then restricted where CCWs, concealed carry permits, were valid. And then uh, the, the one that really irks me, uh, they all do, but bothers me the most, is they require that there be a, if, if private property wants to allow people to come in with a CCW, they have to post a sign that says, guns allowed. Now, how many people are going to go, how many places are going to go out of their way to post that sign? As opposed to like in Texas, where you have to, you can post a sign that says guns are not allowed. And as a private property owner, that's your right. You don't have to let mm -hmm. somebody your your premises with a gun, whether it's a retail store or your house or whatever. But to try and put the burden, they know that most people won't post a guns allowed sign because it's going to scare certain people away. And so they're not going to want to put that up because they're going to lose business. So, but that was struck down too. And that's, that's, Real big, uh, but you know the the this is a this is a gambit that all the anti-gun owner states are trying. And by the way, they're not coming up with this. This is all orchestrated behind the scenes by Bloomberg and his folks. They're mm -hmm. writing 
They're handing them off to the state legislatures and saying, here, push this through. Uh, and so you've got semi-auto bans, magazine capacity limitations. I think you're going to see ammunition background checks unless we're successful in the roadie cases striking that down in California, and I think we will be. Uh, and these, these responses to Bruin, it's like a flanking maneuver where they try and, okay, well, we have to issue CCWs. Well, but they're not going to be good anywhere, and you got to jump through a lot of hoops to get one. And that's that. so that's going on in multiple other states. Uh, California tried last year, and they're trying again now. But this this decision and the Antonic decision, uh, you know, they're all going to work their way up to, and this is going to be decided by a court of appeal and perhaps taken to the United States Supreme Court. But we'll be using this Hawaii ruling in California to fight SB2. If we can pick up a couple of, bo- of votes in the legislature, we might actually kill it again like we did last year. That would be uh, that would be an amazing feat. Uh, and I hope that you're able to do it. Uh, you know, and, and get it back specifically to this default ban on private property, even publicly accessible private property. Uh, you know, look, I'm not an attorney. I don't pretend to be one. But, I, you know, I've seen these signs on businesses, uh, no solicitation, right? And to me, that's sort of the same thing. Only we're talking about our First Amendment. Um, so as a private property owner, you can ban people from coming in and soliciting business. But but there's an expectation that you're able to exercise your First Amendment rights in public and publicly accessible places. Why would the same not be true for our right to keep and bear arms? Uh, why, again, if, you, if you're a private property owner, you want to ban firearms from the premises, you can do so. But the presumption should be that people are allowed to exercise their rights freely in a free society, right? right and that's the presumption that you get, for example, with a, with a no trespassing sign. If you don't have no trespassing signs up and somebody walks on your property, it's harder to try and eject them for trespassing. When uh, we were going to have a, uh, a group of folks coming down to the CRPA office to protest, and we talked to the sheriff's department and they said that they had been talking to the ACLU. We talked to the ACLU. We said, we don't want to allow you guys there. This is in a, re- in a, in a commercial storefront area. And they said, well, you can't stop them unless it's posted. So we wound up having to post signs saying, you know, access limited to invitees and pro- you know, protesters stay the hell out. But you, th- this signage thing is not, uh, is not unique to, uh, carrying guns, no soliciting, no trespassing, no hunting, but it's all no. It's not. Yes, hunting is allowed. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. You know, it's 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 all the other way around. But they know that if they stack it up the other way, that a lot of places won't post this. You know, guns concealed carry allowed sign because they're afraid of the backlash from some of the folks who don't really understand that CCW holder makes you safer, not less safe. Absolutely. So, you know, I know the last time that we uh, talked, we uh, I wanted to bring up Jennings. That's the uh, ban on so-called assault weapons in Delaware, the case that's challenging that prohibition. Um, I know that the Second Amendment Law Center filed an amicus brief in that case. You also filed an amicus brief in the Hawaii case as well. What are some of the other uh, cases right now that uh, Second Amendment Law Center is is involved in around the country, Chuck? Uh, uh, Illinois, Oregon. <laughs> Washington, D.C. Maryland is coming up. I think New Jersey is the next brief that we have due. So we're all over. And and significantly, and this is something your readers, your 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 viewers will appreciate, uh, in the Hawaii ruling, 
the judge cited, actually quoted from the two ALC and, and the rest of our strategic partners, we all submitted a combined brief, uh, quoted from that brief. And this just illustrates how important amicus briefs are because we put in there some statistics about what how, what the crime rate did in states where CCWs were were have his, have uh, for for years been easy to get, and uh, we should pointed out that although you know because the state of Hawaii was arguing well if you give people these concealed carry permits they're going to go out and commit crimes, well we pointed out that in, in a number of different states CCW holders were actually uh, one of the lowest. Uh, uh, rates of of misuse of firearms, they you know they don't they don't commit crimes. There, there's background checks and st- and 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 training that goes with a CCW holder. Not a, not just about practical use of a firearm, but also about the laws. So CCWs don't make us any less safe. And the judge actually quoted from that brief. Now that shows. See, there wasn't room. In the plaintiff's main brief, because courts imposed page limitations, there wasn't room to get into that so that those social science and statistics in their brief. But the judge found it, appreciated it, and used it. That's the kind of thing that amicus briefs can contribute to an argument and and fully and inform the court on things that the parties don't have the space or the ability to uh, to, to tell the court about and make sure the courts are aware of. Absolutely. Um... All right. So uh, is there any case uh, or cases that uh, are on the horizon where you anticipate we may be getting a, a decision from a judge in, let's say, the next you know month or so? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for the donkey case out of Maryland. Yeah. I don't know why that, that was argued last December. I don't know. I know. What's going on. And we're waiting for a ruling for the from the Seventh Circuit on the Illinois uh, semi-auto and magazine capacity law, which we could get any time. And then we're waiting for uh, the uh, the uh, four cases that are pending in front of Judge Benitez. Remember, one of those is a, is a challenge to California's Billy Club law. And the other case that just came out of Hawaii a few days ago struck down the butterfly knife law. Yep. And folks need to, the thing is, in Bruin, they were dealing with whether you could get a CCW. In the Hawaii case, they were dealing with butterfly knives. But the fact is, and in Ramiri, they're going to deal with uh, uh, prohibited people. But the the, the 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 thing that comes out of these cases is not so much the, ca- the the ruling on the specific issue being challenged, but the way they get there. Bruin ruled on uh, states can't require a special need to get a CCW, but it set up the historical analog test. That's how you figure it out. So that test gets applied in other cases challenging other things as a Second Amendment violation. And in Hawaii, that's a Ninth Circuit, three-judge panel, unanimous decision on butterfly knives that faithfully applied Bruin, that didn't fall for the state's baloney about the the language of the Second Amendment doesn't cover unusual arms, doesn't cover knives, it only covers firearms, the the states, the things they were trying to argue. And so the court really clarified, no, it covers more than firearms. And no, it doesn't actually have to be fired or you don't have to stab somebody in order for it to be considered being used for self-defense. And so that the, laying out the methodology is in many respects more valuable to second event, to further se- future Second Amendment cases 
than the underlying striking down a butterfly knife ban. You know, that's that's a really good point, particularly when it comes to use, right? Because we've seen, uh, who was it, uh, Judge Janet Bond Arterton, I think, in uh, Connecticut, uh, uh, said that, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, the, basically the the only guns that are the only arms that are protected by the Second Amendment are, are those that are commonly used in self-defense. Right. Uh, which would mean that, you know, grandpa's hunting rifle is not protected by the Second Amendment. But, uh, you know, your Glock handgun would be. I'm not sure that that's what the founding fathers intended uh, to, you know, pick and choose between uh, those types of arms. Uh, but you're right. I also thought it was interesting that the uh, panel of the Ninth Circuit found that the uh, 19th century prohibitions on possession and in, in a, a few cases, I guess, the uh, uh, the the uh, manufacture of Bowie knives was not a close enough historical analog to support Hawaii's ban on butterfly knives, because we've seen courts cite those same anti-Bowie knife laws as being close enough to uh, a, a today's ban on so-called assault weapons that that they, you know, can withstand muster. So the Ninth Circuit is saying, listen, uh, you know, Bowie knives are different enough from from butterfly knives that those Bowie knife laws don't apply. I, I have a hard time understanding how on earth those same Bowie knife laws could apply to modern sporting rifles in 2023. Me too. <laughs> I mean, faithfully applies the Bruin test, which is when you're lo looking at that analog, when you're looking at a, some historical law, you ask, why was it passed? So what was the evil it was trying to address? And how did they regulate it? And so when it came to Bowie knives, they never really banned their possession. They banned their use and they're carrying them in cer certain places. And they put limitations on it on that were fell far short of a ban, just like with prohibited people. They never really banned a class of people. Well, until the United States banned Indians and freed slaves, not our proudest moment. Uh, but uh, it, it usually in 1791, it was an individualized approach. If somebody abuse their their right they could put limitations on that right say you can't bring your gun into town or something like that but they never took it away they never said you can't have any arms at all and that 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 is a distinction that a lot of courts are not drawing but the ninth circuit in the butterfly life case did and so that's a that's a very helpful holding we've already sent that in to judge benitez we sent it in in illinois we, you know we're sending that case as supplemental authority in cases across the country because it faithfully adopts the Bruin methodology that are other, a lot of other courts, you know, I would, I would suggest they may be a bit biased and looking for ways to uphold gun laws uh, are, are twisting uh, to, to do what they want to get done, what they want to get done and uphold those laws, even though they shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, listen, Chuck, we could talk for hours, but I know that you've got work to do. I've got uh, more work to do, unfortunately. Um, but let's have you back again in a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I like doing this every couple of weeks so we can get the updates. Obviously, uh, if folks want more information about what's going on in California, CRPA.org is the website for the Second Amendment Law Center. It's 2ALC.org. Is that right? Yes, that's right. All right, Chuck, again, thank you for everything you do. I appreciate you spending some time with us today, and I look forward to continuing the conversation here in the near future. Thanks for helping us get the word out, Cam. Appreciate all you do. Well, I appreciate Chuck joining us on the program. I feel slightly better after talking with him, slightly. Uh, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of Nebraska. Former uh, University of Nebraska Kearney football player sentenced in robbery case 
Not much of a sentence, unfortunately. According to uh, news accounts from uh, KSNB, a, a former football player at uh, UNK, uh, 19-year-old Toba Chukwu Toby Okafer, sentenced to a total of 90 days in jail and two years probation for convictions on two counts of third-degree assault and one kind of criminal mischief. Now, he had originally been charged with three counts of felony robbery, but those charges were amended to the misdemeanor crimes in a plea bargain. Two students at the University of Nebraska Kearney claimed that Okafer robbed them on campus last fall. They reported that a wallet containing a debit card and other personal items were stolen. A third student had accused Okafer of stealing her cell phone uh, on October 30th of last year. Now, Okafer had previously been uh, sentenced to jail and probation for assault and trespassing convictions connected to an off-campus fight in December of 2021. Uh, and now again, a total of 90 days in jail and two years probation for uh, three alleged robberies. And this is, again, not his first run-in with the law, but uh, not his first time avoiding a serious sentence for what were originally serious charges. Today's Armed Citizen story from Clovis, New Mexico, where uh, police are releasing new details about a homicide that happened in the city on Friday. Uh, so far, nobody in custody. They know who the shooter was, but this appears to be a case of self-defense. It was about just before 10 a.m. back on August the 4th. Officers in Clovis were called to a home about a burglary call. Uh, police were told that a man later identified as 39-year-old Javier Jimenez Jr. had broken into a woman's house and she had shot him. When officers went inside the home, they saw that Jimenez had died from the uh, gunshot wound. During the investigation, police learned that the woman who they say shot Jimenez was in the court process of obtaining a restraining order against him. Jimenez had also been arrested for criminal trespassing at the home in May of last year. According to uh, KFDA-TV, investigators waiting for the autopsy results. They're continuing to conduct interviews and process evidence, but at this time they say no charges have been filed. Officials say a decision to file charges is pending during the investigation. I, I'm just going to go out on what I think is a fairly sturdy limb here and say the woman was in her own home. She shot and killed a guy who had previously been convicted of criminally trespassing at her home last year. She was in the process of obtaining a restraining order that would have prevented him from coming anywhere near her when he, again, allegedly broke into the house. That appears to have all of the evidence or all of the uh, evidence needed for uh, a self-defense uh, determination here. We'll keep our eyes open for the official announcement, but I have a sneaking suspicion that that is what the authorities are actually going to rule this to be. And again, I'm, I have to say, just personally, I'm, you know, we've talked with Nikki Gozer about this from the Crime Prevention Research Center, and Nikki has her own personal experience in dealing with a stalker. And she has said, you know, go to the police, get that order of protection, but understand that that order of protection is a piece of paper. It is not a suit of armor. It, it, it may provide you with an opportunity to get the courts involved after this individual has contacted you. But if this individual is intent on doing harm, an order of protection is not going to stop them. So I am very grateful for the fact that this woman was able to protect herself. Because, again, an order of protection and the court system getting involved, that might protect you after the fact. It might provide some consequences for, again, violating a restraining order. But it's not going to stop an assault from somebody who doesn't care about violating the law. Again, we'll keep our eyes open for any more details on this case out of Clovis, New Mexico. We'll bring them to you when they become available. 
Finally, today, or a good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing, and, and really just, you know, situational awareness. A uh, hotel clerk in Florida who saved a, a couple of minors after discovering uh, what appears to be, and what authorities say, is a case of sex trafficking. Uh, this happened uh, in uh, Lake Worth Beach this past Sunday, about 60 miles north of Miami. Sheriff's Office in uh, Palm Beach County said it's a it's a powerful example of community action. An observant hotel worker's bravery led to the rescue of two minor females from commercial sex trafficking. Sheriff's Office says the hotel clerk uh, walked into a room and observed both minor victims who were sitting on the bed with a man. There was a condom next to him. The clerk stated that he called police after observing how, the, how young the two females appeared to be, as well as their demeanor. Clerk gave uh, deputies consent to search the hotel room. That's when deputies discovered two girls, as well as two adults, a man and a woman, who were taken into custody. Uh, and the detectives say revealed a, quote, disturbing scenario under questioning. Officials say the investigation revealed that the woman coordinated a date, quote unquote, between an adult male and the two juvenile girls. The uh, sheriff's office says the two minor victims were transported to the listed hotel where the man paid both minor victims probably actually the adult woman, to have sexual intercourse. Now 44-year-old Maria Barrios Calero faces three counts of human trafficking of a minor. 44-year-old Ricardo Flores faces two counts of human trafficking of a minor. The uh, ages of the girls not released. Investigators did not say how they came to be uh, with Calero, but the sheriff's office did say that the swift intervention of the hotel clerk who noticed the young victims and alerted authorities played a pivotal role in their rescue. And so again, in the right place, at the right time, ready and willing to stand up and do the right thing when seeing something that uh, raised all kinds of uh, red flags. That anonymous hotel clerk there in Florida, we thank you for your life-saving and life-changing good deed. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you, as always, for being a part of the program, and I'm looking forward to be back with you again tomorrow. Uh, don't forget to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the day. However, we got you caught up on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation, including the Governor Bill Lee's official proclamation for a special session on August 21st. Is there a conservative case for the special session? I'm not convinced, but uh, we'll, we'll take a look at the argument. Uh, we'll be back here again tomorrow, but in the meantime... Check out the website. If you like what you see, I'd encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member as well. All you have to do, go to barryandarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. And as our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. New stories and analysis that matter, just like your support. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. Be free.